Welcome to The Truth in His Heart. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I am privileged to be in conversation with my next guest, an author, freelance journalist, community organizer, and a worker and owner of uh, Thread Coffee Roasters in Baltimore. Please welcome Nani Ferreira Matthews. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Um, so, you know, again, thank you for making the time to come on. And I've been been trying to trying to make this happen for a while. Like, I like what you guys are doing. And, you know, I mean, go to a spot, get a bag here and there, get some cans here and there, what have you. So I wanted to um, start off by asking about um, some of your, your creative background. And then we're going to, like, dive in and talk a little bit about Thread and some of your, your entrepreneurial background. But if we could start off with the creative stuff, um, what's your background there? Um, I think creatively, maybe it starts with journaling and writing. Uh, I've basically been keeping a journal since the age of 10 or 11. And I think in that deep introspection, you kind of find, or I found really early on, um, I don't know, just myself. And I keep finding myself. And so a lot of the beginning of my creative process is just in writing. That's where it starts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was very passionate about that from a very young age and ended up doing journalism as a major in university and kind of went into broadcast and out of broadcast really quickly and uh, back into writing. And I'm just writing, writing all the time now. So writing is is it for me. I love that. Um, so and what well, can you can you think back to like maybe some of the you, you said journaling, um, but some of the like maybe sort of professional journalistic things that you've done early on and like what, what were they like starting out what were some of the feelings going into some of that early work that you've done uh just pure desperation <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's that's still happening <laughs> every day um yeah i mean i don't want to be like the uh, millennial who sobs about the 2008 financial collapse but if so it is i did graduate that year and and journalism just was like uh, it was in the in my senior year of, of uh, university. Our professor said, "Well, it's too late for you to change your major, but uh, we wanted to let you know that there's not a career in journalism anymore." Um, and it was pretty bleak. And so, anyway, the answer to the question is that some of those first writing um, essays and assignments that I got were really out of desperation, uh, just going out there and being like, "I'll do anything, uh, um, whatever you want." And then I ended up writing about restaurants in mm. Atlanta for maybe two or three years um, for a website that doesn't exist anymore. It was called examiner.com where you got paid one penny per view. And I got a lot of reads, but I never got a lot of money. Uh, so in a way, it feels like, yeah, desperation, <laughs> just trying everything and not not I don't I don't think it was unsuccessful, but it wasn't it never was um it never paid the bills. It almost feels like journalism became an art form mm. for so long. And maybe I, I see it kind of shifting back now a little bit. But yeah, for a long time, it just felt like just creative pastime. What would you and, and I, I think I agree with you when it comes to sort of that that shifting back. Um when I hear folks talk about I want to hear authentic storytelling, I want to hear people's voices, I want to hear like journalism because you know a few years back not not you know still some of it happening now but a few years back it was at its uh sort of peak of can i trust this person can i trust this source like where's this stuff coming from and 
you know, as I'm doing this, I, I take a journalistic approach and, and when needed, you know, like I need to get the story, um, take an archival approach when needed. Hey, let me document this during this sort of period of time with this sort of group of people. What, what would you attribute to maybe some of that shifts of people wanting to see like maybe a focus on on journalism and at least accurate sort of um, documentation of, of what's happening? Well, 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 <laughs> I mean, oh, I think it was just I, I don't want to say this is it specifically, but there was there's just it's a cacophony of ridiculousness in news. And I think um, maybe COVID a little bit uh, did help mm -hmm. kind of um, shift the culture in the way that we um, trust so blindly. Uh, there's just, I mean, on both sides, uh, political thought, right, left, everybody just suddenly was seeking the truth. And, uh, and I think that's kind of where we are now as a society where we are really not trusting authority, which I think is always a positive, um, and asking for truth. And on the other side of that, you know, we're in a very dangerous spot where everything looks like the truth to someone who's desperate. Who's yeah. someone who's seeking something and they, you know, they can latch onto an idea really quickly. Um, I mean, I've seen it, you know, firsthand in, in my own family and that's a bit tough. Uh, but I think that there is, there's a hunger. Yeah. And for real journalists who are trying to tell the real story, um, I think we almost need to find a new way to tell a story, something that's not so flashy, something that's real. And I, I kind of approach the way that I'm storytelling now in that way. And I think you do too. So talk about um, a little bit before we go into, because I want to talk about Thread. Absolutely, we're going to talk about Thread. But um, tell me about some of the um, the projects that you're you're writing now, some of the work that you're doing now, um, journalistically um, writing um, and from, a, from an author standpoint. So um, I think right after I realized I couldn't do much with journalism, I considered getting into anthropology. And so I did a lot of reading and uh, self sort of research in that kind of thought process. And so now I really approach things in both the journalistic and the anthropological sense, yeah. um, cultural anthropology specifically, um, really thinking about gender, race, relations, class, immigration, or uh, what um, actually this does go and does tie into thread or what I would call intersectionality or what is called intersectionality in the feminist um, studies. And so that's kind of how I approach my writing now from all, all different aspects. And specifically I'm writing about Baltimore. I just started freelance writing for Be More Art, covering some, um, some restaurants and, and chefs and doing some profiles on them. But I really want to stay away from talking about, you know, the glossy, pretty, yes, it's good food. Yes. It's quote unquote local, but what does it really mean mm -hmm. to you know, have a restaurant to be a, to be an artist in the kitchen. Um, so I'm, most of my approach is anthropological at the moment, but just want to tell an authentic story that kind of encapsulates the truth in, and the, the history of food. Yeah. Um, so yeah, some of that. I was almost waiting for you to say the truth in this art. And I was like, isolate all of that. Just take it and use it. The truth in the art. I mean, it's true though. Yeah. And, and, and thank you. Um, I, I think as, we're going through and I graduated like a year at, a year before you. So it was like 2007 and 
business degree, but all of this sort of stuff that I've been doing from a podcast perspective, I started in like 2009 and seeing sort of uh, radio and that that industry kind of take a hit like, oh, yeah, everyone's moving to podcasting over, let's say, from 2009 to 2011. And I started around that time and just being looked at like, oh, this is just a little hobby that you do. This is a waste of time. There's no money in it and so on. But now it's like a huge industry, billions of dollars. And it's like, oh, now everyone wants to be in this vein. And some people are using it to take sort of that background in storytelling, that background maybe as a journalist and so on to kind of grow that and share maybe their version of storytelling, whether it be extreme and incorrect at times or just authentic. And um and I'll, and I'll say this before I move into this this next question. Um, I'm not a person that dives and reads into a lot of things. I'm, I'm an audiobook guy. I'll just sit there. It's like, let me just consume. I feel like I have 200 audiobooks on this iPhone right here. And um, it's crazy. But I'll in those instances where I read something and I catch it, I'm like, why am I always finding the errors? I was like, what is this rush to get this out? Can you, like, one, spell check, let alone <laughs> fact check? <laughs> Definitely fact check. <laughs> so yeah. could you could you share with us um, what your like initial interest and what fascinated you about like the coffee industry? Because I saw a few stories out there and sort of that introductory story. And you know, I did a deep dive, you know, um, looking at old interviews and some research. So what initially interests you about the uh, coffee industry? I'm going to answer this in one second, but I'm going to tell you a story about where I'm from. And I think it kind of it kind of defines how I ended up being so interested in coffee. So I was raised for the most part of my life in a small town called Vidalia, Georgia. Vidalia, Georgia is world known for having sweet onions. So what happens when you have a gigantic agricultural community in the South is that you'll see a lot of immigrant workers. And so there's a lot of racism, systemic racism that's happening in this town and in this county. Um, and then I would grow up and find out a lot more about it. And I know a lot more about it now, but I think I always was seeing that there was this division. There was obviously the black and white division in the South, but then there was the Hispanic community, the, Lat the Latino community that was also, um, you know, experiencing its own set of racism in the town I grew up in. Yeah. And so when I was a senior in high school, we had this, strange thing happened. And I know a lot of people will be like, oh, I can't believe this happened. But um, it did. And I think it might even still happen. And we had three racially segregated proms. And I graduated in 2004. And the school said, well, it, was not, it wasn't our fault because it was always a student organized uh, event. And that was true. The students organized. And it was just this thing that kept happening and kept happening. And no one said, no, let's not do this anymore. And then there was a huge blowout when I was a senior. And there was a black prom, a white prom, and a Latina prom. And I I think that is such a defining moment for anyone, but you know, especially for me, because I was always thinking about who I was in the world, um, how I wanted to move through it, and seeing all this inequity. Yeah. And that later would be the thing I think that made me so aware that coffee was being marketed in a way that made it look like we were saving the global south. When that's not always what's happening in coffee. Uh, you see a lot of pictures when you go into a roastery or you go into a cafe where you'll see um, brown and black hands in the plants, people yeah. working. And it 
It looks like we're all in this together, but I know from experience that we are not in this together. And if you don't do it right, then you'll be doing a disservice to humanity, really. Mm -hmm. And so I think those two stories are, I mean, it's just the same story for me. I can see it in the coffee commodity and the crop of coffee. And I think it's global reach is what brings me into it, that really brought me into it fully because it's so global, because it touches so many lives, because it's kind of endless in a way, and it's adored. There's so much that you can do with coffee they can't do with Vidalia onions, but uh, that's kind of that's kind of how it started. Thank you. I, I, I think that adds a lot of texture and complexity around it. And, you know, I can look at a place that I worked at at one point, that imagery you were describing, the black and brown hands and kind of, uh, you know, at this place I worked at and, you know, we had fair trade coffee and all of that stuff there. And it's like, yeah, we're, we're working with the farmers. And I was like, mm, based on how I'm being treated here, you know, as a you know, six foot four black man. And I was like, I don't know if that's quite accurate, but I'm gonna let you guys keep, keep, keep rolling with it. That's right. Cause <laughs> you know, you can't just say you're working with the farmers and then not treat your workers with any respect. I mean, it's the whole thing or it's nothing for me. So uh, that's kind of like what I love about coffee and what I love about being involved in Thread is we have our, our autonomy and our sovereignty at Thread. Yeah. And I feel really good about the choices that we're making. Yeah. And yeah, it's about the worker too. You can't just, you can't tell the whole story through a picture like that. You, you had, you had it figured out. I, I was sitting there. I was like, hmm, I'm going to drink this, but I'm, I'm a little tight right now, you know? <laughs> It's like uh -huh. I, was, I was angrily drinking coffee. Yeah, you don't want that. Nobody no. wants that. No, coffee should be great. Uh, so, what, ins what inspired the name Thread? Is, is, what's the significance around that? Um, so Thread is essentially, I think, um, a pro like a feminist project, but through the lens of intersectionality, like I said earlier, yeah. where uh, I'm not a founder of Thread. I joined in 2018. Threads started in 2012 by uh, Casey McKill and a couple of other friends who were like-minded. And what they were thinking at the time was, we're seeing this injustice economically because uh, it kind of came out of Occupy Wall Street. Um, I think a lot of the, the founders of Thread were working in Occupy Wall Street, seeing that sort of global economic breakdown, uh, just seeing the inequity with the 99%, the 1%, all of that. Um, and so thread, the name thread is like, how do we thread all these different sorts of oppressions together into one? How can we look at what it's like to be, uh, you know, to have oppression in race or gender or class? And how can we pull them all into one sort of project? And coffee was the easiest way to do that. And so that's kind of where the name thread came from. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, entrepreneurship and such. So like one of the things I've, I've, I've learned, I've heard in, in, in various conversations, being an entrepreneur myself, this is an LLC. And, uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's in part introducing, you know, people, whether it be investors, whether it be collaborators to new ideas, when, you know, Thread is involved in like, let's say presenting a new idea or presenting itself to maybe a new, like, like 
collaborator, partner, what have you, you know, how does that go about? Like, talk, talk about how that maybe feel like kind of kind of getting over like the idea of like, this is what we want to do. This is our mission. And just making sure that the partnership is or collaboration is properly aligned. Um, you know, I think that we all the one, the, the partnerships, I'm just going to talk kind of mostly from the way that we've organized thread to sure. answer that. And then maybe I can ex- expand on that. But um, thread coffee is a project in direct democracy. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the way that we want to do business, we also are looking for people who are utilizing a form of direct democracy, <clears throat> direct democracy being like worker led or cooperatively owned. And so if you follow the coffee supply chain backwards to the farm level, at some point you have the roaster, that's us. And then you'll have to go backwards and get the coffee from an importer. So we um, are a member owner of a co-op of, or it's called Cooperative Coffees, which is uh, an importing co-op. Basically we're a buying co-op and we're 25 roasters throughout North America and Canada and we buy collectively. And we buy from this worker co-op because we want to support direct democracy. And so we're a part of direct democracy in our own workplace because we're worker owned, because we have egalitarian principles that in that sense. And then we are also are buying from the importer in a in a direct directly democratic way. But we also are using that same sort of framework for when we get down to the farm level, because you can get to a farm and you can support a farmer. But it could still be a very top-down sort of farm. It could be an estate. It could be a finca that's owned by one or two people or by a family. And then they uh, maybe they bring in pickers to go through every year and pay them, you know, an unidentifiable wage. Mm-hmm. We don't want to work with those kinds of farmers, so we we only buy from co-ops gotcha. and cooperatives in all of these coffee-growing countries are also democratically run and organized. And so the the whole like that's another thread that we kind of sew through the entirety of our projects is we want to be directly democratic in our process and support people whose voices are being uplifted and heard. And this is very important for us is that, that we're supporting people and we know that it's not just, I don't know, it's not just a label. It's not just fair trade. It's not just organic certified. It's that we know from experience that we're buying from co-ops, that we are a co-op, that we're importing as a co-op. And we're doing all of those things directly democratically. Now that's going backwards in the supply chain. Sure. Now when we go forward and we talk about projects that we're doing with uh, with whatever businesses, it's really just you can't necessarily use that. We don't just sell to co-ops. Obviously, we do yeah. have a business, and we are in a capitalist society, and we have to survive. Um, and so. I, I will say that without saying who, we definitely have had conversations about who we won't work with. Um, and, and there are answers to that. Even if they're huge people, we just right. won't do it. Uh, and it kind of is the same thing about the some of the original thoughts you had about investment. The way that we take money is also very much in the same sort of, like, we want to maintain our autonomy and our sovereignty as a worker co-op will always have the workers will always have 100% ownership of thread if we have any financial um, contributions it will be on our own terms through uh, an investor will never get any percentage of our company no matter how much money they offer we're organized as a co-op and we have shares but they're non-voting shares so if we did want to get investment from community it would be a small investment 
It'd be a small return on the investment, but they'd never have any sort of say in the direction of the business. And so I think our politics are really strong, I guess, all in all. Yeah. Talking to talk, walking to walk. I love it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But, you know, I think our, our relationships with our customers are so humanistic and so real. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I wish I could, you could get testimonies if you want. Maybe you can talk to people when you're out, but we just have such intimate relationships with the people that we work with. I, I know that they trust us and we trust them. We're in this thing. We're trying to build this thing together. And I don't know. I feel really good about the work we're doing. That's great. And, and, and what I'm hearing, it, it's, it sounds like, you know, it's just, it's, it's community organization that is in, in business and coffee is a big piece of it, but it's, it's doing right by the community, doing right by the, the workers. And that sounds just, just great. Just, you know, it's the full like process. So mm -hmm. You'll see certain spots like, oh, that's, that's, that's uh, incongruent. No, no, the full oh makes sense. So that's yeah. Well, I couldn't bear it if we had too many of those. <laughs> I'm in my own head all the time. Like, you know, I don't think we should, we should. Yeah. If there's mm -hmm. a problem, we have to fix it immediately. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a, uh, in, in my, my day job, what have you, I definitely, I'm a problem solver. If I see something that's not quite working, I was like, how can we address this? I'm not going to wait on it. <laughs> I need to get to it Yeah, because, you know, like in, in looking at it, there's, there's a certain trust. So if someone is engaging in whatever this content is, whether it be someone who wants to be in the podcast, be on an interview or what have you, there's a, there's a degree of trust there that they're sharing their story on this platform. So if I was just like some raging, like jerk or what have you, that wouldn't be good. And on the other side of it, folks investing time to listen to this story and having that sort of trust there, it's the, it has to make sense across. It can't be like, Oh yeah. You know, you know, Rob is working with MAGA or something like that. It's just like, yeah. that doesn't, doesn't really align, you know, behind the scenes, yeah. what have you. And in those, those, there's been some, some folks that I won't work with. It's very similar. That's like, Hey, we have a boatload of money for you, you know, to do this and fund your project. Nah, I'd rather struggle, I'd rather struggle at it actually, you know, yep. because that, that sort of trust and that being part of the community is more valuable than whatever that temporary ease might be. It's almost to use the sports analogy. I don't want to be bored up by the Yankees. No shots to the Yankees, but I want to be well. Shots to the Yankees, and we're Baltimore. <laughs> I don't want to be brought up by brought up by the Yankees. Uh, so, with regard to to your role, um, if you could summarize like what you do in terms of doing one thing well, what would it be? Oh, the one great thing I do. Yeah. <laughs> Me personally. Oh, um, I think it might be like thinking. <laughs> Do I get any credit for just yes. thinking? Yes. Um, I'm just a, um, I'm an ideas person. I, I just have a bunch of thoughts and I, and, and really I, I want, I, I'm a really good at talking and asking questions, but also listening to, to the answers. And, and I, I think that's probably a really strong trait in, in any human, but uh, in business it's good too, because people are often asking me questions, but when you start to ask them what they need, then it, you know, you, you learn a lot about the community that we're in and about a person's needs. Um, so talking and listening are my strongest, you know, just, it's just communication really. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, I'm not good at either of those. I just just move on to the next thing. I got nothing. No, I I think I think that's <laughs> I think that's really important being able to, you know, get a sense of what people are looking for. You, you know how conversations go sometimes. Uh people are keying up for, hey, I'm waiting for you to stop talking so I could talk again. Or mm-hmm. hey, I like interviewers for sake of argument. I'm just getting through this so I can get to the next question versus mm-hmm. actually, hey, tell me more about that. Or, oh, that's interesting to maybe get sort of a different response. Um, you know, in the the process of doing this interview and preparing for this interview, I listened to old interviews you've done. And um, I like how you answered sort of that introductory question about when did you become fascinated with coffee in a different way than I've heard you answer it in the past. You know, mm-hmm. sort of the theme is there, but you didn't go through the... The, the, I remember the Brooklyn story was one of the things, the, uh, uh-huh. the biggest thing. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And I think that's that's what I look for when I'm going into a conversation because I want it to feel like a conversation, not just, hey, I'm going to throw out a question, you throw out an answer. It's actually an exchange there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I found myself in my um, interviews for, uh, for Be More Art just not interjecting to see how long the person will talk. And and sometimes they'll go for a really long time. And I try to use that even when I'm out with friends, Um, you know, having a drink and I get tired and I think, oh, I'm ready to go. But instead of going, I'll just wait and see when they they say they want to go. And I think the last time that happened, we shut the bar down because I didn't say stop. And and I had a wonderful time, you know, and I think sometimes we're, uh, yeah, we're always thinking about the next step. You know, maybe it's a little bit of fear or something, uh, um, uh, fear of the unknown, or, uh, just trying to be in control of the situation. But when you kind of just like throw your hands up and stay open and present, well, some beautiful things can happen, you know, even if it's with somebody you didn't want to talk to. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, not you, but you know, it can happen. It can happen out and about. You run into somebody weird at a bar and you have totally opposite viewpoints. The next thing you know, you're hugging and sending each other Christmas cards. You never this know. True. This is yeah. true. I never know. It's it's a it's a it's partially a, it's a southern thing there too. Um there are some times where like I like to go out to New Orleans and I was there relatively recently and uh I just remember the first time I went down there. I went down there by myself. I was all uh like sad. It was like a breakup trip. You know, I was like, I was supposed to visit the the girlfriend at the time in a different state. She broke up with me. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to New Orleans because I have enough money to go to New Orleans and South Carolina and use that fund. So I'm going down there. I'm like, all right, I don't know anyone here. I'm just here for the, you know, culture. And this is a thing that's fun. Right. And also, um, for those who know me, they know that it's a Hannibal Burris joke that motivated me to go to New Orleans. So. Yeah. So that's a big piece of it, if I'm being honest. So I'm sitting in a market because I go to weird places sometimes just to get a a temperature on who's around. And it was just a random chef that just walked over there, sat next to me and just started talking to me. I mean, to the degree where he was talking about his son. He's like, man, I really wish he was a better athlete. And he's going into it. He's like, you know what? I'm going to call him real quick. You know, he played with Ray Lewis and all of them. I was like, what are we doing? But Uh I'm, I'm still in it. And I was like, this was a great conversation and it felt like it was such a, a connection in that he was like, man, I wish you would have told me you was coming down here. I was like, I just met you. I really <laughs> just met you. He's like, man, we could cook for you. Let me know next time. Here's my number. And I was like, wow, this That's is awesome. how it goes on up, up to, you know, up, up North. So yeah, it was really, really awesome. And I think in the, 
having that experience, I think I've applied that, you know, in part with with sort of other conversations that I've had, especially going down there this past year to do interviews and do work. And I'm like, oh, this is going to roll in this way. This is actually they want they want to chat. And mm-hmm. it's not just, hey, let's get this work done. Let's get to the next thing. Actually, this is part of that work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about some of like some of the growth. Some of the growth that's been there with um with Thread. I mean, I've seen um <laughs> Best Coffee in Maryland from uh, Food and Wine magazine um 2019 and notable mentions, Bon Appetit, um, Daily Coffee News, Roast Magazine, which that, that exists, Roast Magazine, didn't know that. Um <laughs> Could you could you like share an accomplishment that that you're you're very proud of? Oh um, well, I think the mo- morning that we woke up and and saw that Food and Wine magazine listed as best coffee in Maryland in 2019 was confusing and and uh, humbling and beautiful and I don't know I was like well yeah but I didn't think that it would happen um, so that was probably one of uh, one of my favorite moments and accomplishments but. Um, I think that, what was the question again? Um, th- I think that's actually the question. I think you answered the question actually. The accomplishment, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but, um, I think I read that question earlier and I, I, my first thought was, I feel like one of the biggest accomplishments that we've made is surviving COVID as a business, because there were many months where that didn't seem possible. And I mean, you know, the, the food and wine thing is way cooler, but surviving COVID is a serious accomplishment. Um, yeah, I still can't believe how far we've come from 2020. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'll say like this sort of like project has like gotten really big during that time. Like people were inside and like, I want to share, I want to talk, I want to connect. And, you know, that's, I always point back to then, like it could have been, no one is interested. We're not doing this. I'm tired. The world's ending. What have you? And just it was something that some people got a lot of out of. And some of the again, you know, with some of the sort of um, odder conversations, I remember I was on Instagram one time randomly, and someone from Spain just made a request to like do the FaceTime thing on Instagram. And he's like, hey, man, I hope everything is going well in the U.S., man. One of my buddies is here. He looks just like you. But I just wanted to, you know, tap in and chat with you real quick. And I was like, sure. And again, it's the the human connection. And Uh I look at sort of that time frame as it was a shift for a lot of a lot of people. Like either you could test your metal during that time to see, is this an idea that's viable for the long term? Mm -hmm. Because so many, you know, different businesses kind of didn't make it. Um, and so many different projects kind of died on the vine during that time. But also I think behind the scenes, a lot of people were doing that ideation thing that you're very good at, as you, you touched on earlier, your thinker. Um, so yeah, I think that that's a year and, you know, hearing, hearing, hearing you say that it's, it's really, it's really, really cool. Cause, um, I think a lot of people don't really acknowledge that it could have went left that year. Like it could have just ended for a lot of people in terms of their businesses, outside of the overarching like sort of human component but from a you know entrepreneurial standpoint could you don't have to be in business a lot of places that have been around decades for like yeah we're we're closing up shop we're out of here guys exactly yeah yeah a lot of people did do that you know i'm seeing in this year last year that there's so much energy and 
um, sort of a desire to be self-sufficient. We're seeing way more people open up their own restaurants who are coming out of like really high stress jobs that are not really rewarding. Um, I can't name any specifically, but they just are, you know, a lot of people had this shift in their mentality and they wanted a different life. It didn't have to be the one that that kind of is romanticized as the American dream, that really high paying benefit uh, laden job that sucks your soul out. A lot of people are just wanting to live authentically. And we see that in cafes and restaurants opening all the time with people who don't have experience. And I'm like, okay, but I have experience. So you can trust me and you have the power, uh, the passion. So we'll just, you know, do it together. But yeah, there's such a shift during COVID and you know, not just 2020, but for the past three years, it's just been an enormous shift and there's an openness. And then there's a new closedness as well that, uh, we need to break through still sort of like a, I don't know, maybe the inertia of sitting around for three years hasn't quite gone away and it can be really hard to pull people out to connect to them still. So, I mean, we have a lot of, I mean, so much, so much culture shift, but absolutely so many good ideas were thought about during that time and they're, they're being lived right now. And for us to have a business that's, thriving is you know i'm so i'm so proud of, of where we are and how far we've come um but and the same you know, we also have a lot of work left to do because we did lose a lot of jobs and we've not been able to put those back into rotation yet just because we haven't we just haven't had that sort of scalability even though maybe it looks like it out there in the world where we're still i still want to have more employees than we had in 2020 and we don't hey yeah it's always um you know, having like, this is what the next goal is. And it's like, this is great. Acknowledge that, enjoy the sweetness that's there. Cause I think whether it be artists, whether it be business owners, there's sort of this climate that's always around us of hustle, 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 go, 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 get to the next thing. And I think that permeates into conversation and things of that nature. Um, but, and, and I know that I do this where when any of these sort of cool things happen that you've worked for, it's not like it just happened to you, you've worked for it. You put in that effort, the sweat equity or what have you, and not even acknowledging it because it feels like the work isn't done. So I think it's important to be able to do both while still recognizing that I'm not quite where I want to be at. I'm just stretching the boundaries of what I want to do. And I'm trying to still get there. Yeah, Absolutely. I find it hard to believe I'll ever be satisfied anyways. <laughs> I don't know. Were you expecting you'd be satisfied at some point? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Why, why would I be satis- satisfied? What's not that? even possible. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I got one last real question before I go into these rapid fire questions. And I think having that, that sort of extra detail around some of the stuff you're doing with um, Be More Art definitely will um, better inform this question. From your vantage point, um, what is the most interesting trait about the food culture, whether it be coffee, otherwise, in Baltimore? Oh, yeah, I like this one because I've, I've been thinking a lot about um, the semiotics or like, do you know, like the idea of the way that signage sort of informs our experience before we ever get to the restaurant or uh, the cafe. Um, I read, I mean, I'm not going to take full credit for this idea. I read this great article in a coffee trade magazine that was about the semiotics of coffee signage in like Korea or something. Um, and I've just been thinking about that a lot. 
uh, when you go around Baltimore, which is such a racially divided and economically divided town, you can just see these signs that tell you what kind of experience you're going to have. And I think that's so interesting in this city because, I mean, you just have to look for yourself, but you can just tell what kind of experience and what kind of food you're going to have and how much it's going to cost before you ever go in. And I've noticed in Baltimore, and this is maybe to answer the question more specifically, um, that the lack of signage is so hot in Baltimore, like not having a sign outside of pretty much any place in old Goucher, like uh, Fat and Sonnen or, or Covell or whatever, just like no signs. Um, so, and that I think is as a sign of the experience that you'll have if you have a hard time finding it or, or if it's a little bit hidden. Yeah. Uh, that might be a bit of a trend in, in Baltimore, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I've gone to a few of those places. Now I'm thinking about it. Uh, I see now I'm updating, right? The mindset, mm-hmm. because I used to like, my background was in marketing, right? And uh-huh. I used to look at Pantone. It's like, what does these colors represent? And what am I, what experience am I going to have? Now I'm going to look into, and I'm going to definitely ping you after this. Like, tell me that word, send me that article. I'm going to be looking into this. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, I've seen more and more of that. And it's, almost sort of this hidden message of it's not it's not quite no hipsters but it's kind of like nah the locals know like we we want to have people who are around here they're not speakeasies per se but mm-hmm. it almost has that vibe of if you know you know and Absolutely, yeah. it's going to be great when you go there and you know those are the places i'm very interested in like there are some places that are very flashy and, and garish that have these huge signs that Eh, I'm all set. But the places that are kind of like unique and have some something like a if it's a weird or quirky sensibility that's attached with it, it's like that's a shortcut to me. The food is going to uh-huh. be fire. There's going to be artistic inclination there. And generally speaking, the owner's pretty cool. That That's kind of what I what I've encountered. So that's that's pretty much the shortcut there. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you can tell so much. I, I do the marketing at Thread and, and a lot of the design. I mean, we do it a lot of, of it collectively, but I have the same sort of mind that you have. How, what, what, what Pantone colors are cool this season? Is pink still cool? Are we still doing the right thing? Should we do, should we do minimalist? Should we do maximalist? Yeah, I've been thinking about that stuff a lot, but the signage, it tells you everything before you ever get inside. That's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be using it now. It's like, oh, those signs. It's just something. Nah, let's go elsewhere. They're just the signs. <laughs> Nani told me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to move into the, the rapid fire portion and it's this sort of final okay. chunk of the uh, the pod. And then we'll do some shameless plugs and we'll be done with the evening. Um, so the first one I have, uh, it kind of relates back to that, that, that reference I made earlier to the um, the, the small Brooklyn cafe, right? Um, so in that time and, and working as a barista, did you, ever, did you ever perfect latte art? No. Do you want me to elaborate? Please, please elaborate. <laughs> no, that shit is hard, okay? I know I'm out there telling you guys it's easy. I'm a lying. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> I'm not. It's not easy at all. I lied, okay? Just, it takes a lot of practice. It took me years to get it down. I don't know what's wrong with with me some people are really great at it but uh it's not easy okay that's the truth but thank you I, I appreciate honest answers i love that let's see i got i got this other coffee question um so 
um everyone loves coffee right uh who's a celebrity that you've encountered like just picking up coffee and did they have like a weird or memorable order oh a celebrity <laughs> what is a celebrity anyways I, who knows I mean, somebody may, you know, a celebrity may have a signature coffee that he always picks up the same one. And I don't know. Um, well, I mean, I actually didn't see the coffee order, but I know that Alec Baldwin used to go to the Joe uh, over by the NYU because I saw him come in and out of there a bunch. But and yeah, yep. don't have any good tea there. Sorry. Because it's about coffee here. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm not coffee. Um, as it relates to pop culture, right? Because I, I, I like I like to get a sense of like, what people are into everyone has some degree of fandom i've never encountered and may, maybe it could be an instance here i've never encountered anyone that says i am not a fan of anything you know so this is the question um as it relates to pop culture what's your hottest take um an, an example that i've i've heard is um someone was on a real big rant about like star trek it's like get out of here i don't care about that it's, it's all about star wars everything else. and or he threw out there, actually, V is better than both. I was like, wow, that's a very hot take. Um, it's like V is never in the conversation. <laughs> so, you know, that's what I mean by sort of that hottest take there. I mean, like, is music real? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Says the, says the musician, by the way. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the music scene is so, uh, I'm so confused by it. Um, I don't know if I'm attracted to music, pop music right now. Um I was watching the Grammys on an airplane recently. Uh, it just happened to be that they were broadcasting it. And I feel like um, maybe my hot take is that we celebrate these, you know, like in these big institutional ways with Grammys. And uh, I just don't think that they always do the culture any sort of justice. Um, and then you end up with this kind of like, I don't know. Whatever the Grammys are doing, I kind of want to do the opposite, which is really hard for me because I was a I was a huge fan of Billie Eilish and she won all those Grammys. But mostly I was a fan of her because she didn't seem to care at all um, about the establishment. So I'm pretty much just anti-establishment. And I'm trying to find music and experiences uh, as far outside of the establishment or if they're in it, just giving it the middle finger all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I have a hard time with artists who really just buy into the establishment and just kind of ride it through and through. And so, um, yeah, I think that's, you know, I'm just a little concerned about the establishment. One hundred percent. I mean, I, I've joked about this a few times on how does someone like come out of here and try to do sort of the, like, come out of here, let's say, as an export from like pop culture music all of that different stuff right and i think there's a certain degree of like buy-in and fakeness that you have engaged have to engage into that we just don't really do well here so there's sort of a, a ceiling there for for baltimoreans generally speaking mm -hmm. and i know that i've encountered it myself even though recently i've been accused of not being a baltimorean because i don't have enough grit on me or what have you so mm -hmm. i'm like yeah but also, I kind of sent the message over when someone said something I didn't like, and I was like, go F yourself or what have you. And I was like, that's yeah. just the, the preset because I don't want to play the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely when there's a vibe of sort of establishment, sort of, hey, this is the way we want to go about it. This is the way we want to talk about it. And 
I see a lot of that in the background here and some of the pockets that I'm asked to be a part of and I kind of politely or impolitely decline. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I definitely relate to just, I want to be outside of it. I just want to do my thing, be outside of it. Yeah, absolutely. There's just an authenticity outside of it that that doesn't exist in inside, I think. I agree with you. Yeah. So that's my, that's not a very hot take. No, I think it's hot enough, though. Okay, good. Yeah. People will be like, pop music rules. Yeah. And also, man. I think, and I'm not sure, but maybe Harry Styles wears a toupee, I was told recently. So there's my other hot take. <laughs> okay. Okay, look those look those uh, pictures up and see what you see what you think. That's I'm gonna look that up now. <laughs> That's great. Um, I mean, one of the goals I have in the future is that I can get. Even though I, I said a moment ago I want to be a part of the establishment, however, if I do become part of it, because you know you never know what could happen, I want to be able to like cover this sort of bald head that I have and just like mm -hmm. just have that Harry Styles esque wig. Yeah. That's what I want to do. I just want to just have a pompadour or something. Do That's it. the goal. Do it. Don't even wait for that. Just do it now. <laughs> just have a man weave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was offered before when in one of the barber shops I went to. It's like, yo, bro, you want one of these? It's like, no. Whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the last one I got for you. Um, describe, uh, describe thread in three words. We do good. <laughs> Sorry. I love it. No, no, no. That's great. Keep all of that in. That was we great. We do good. We do better. Yeah, we really do better. Sorry, that's full. I'm just saying, y'all could do better. <laughs> we do better. You keep all of that. <laughs> I'm keeping all of that in there. None, none of that's coming in. All, none of that's coming out. All of that's staying in there. Um, Whatever I mean it. It's about authenticity. Um, <laughs> um, so that's, that's pretty much it for the, okay. for the interview. Um, and I want to thank you for, for making the time and the chat with me. And I want to invite and encourage you to share anything you want to share in the final moments where, you know, folks can check out thread, social media, website, all of that good stuff. Um, the floor is yours. Um, sure. So I would like to start off by saying thank you so much for having me, for having an authentic conversation with me on a Monday night. Um, you know, Mondays are whatever to a lot of people, but uh, I appreciate you taking the time. And I had a really nice time chatting. Um, also like to say, for some reason, I can't stop thinking about fried macaroni, like little like cheese balls. And, you know, I'm also a humongous fan of those little corn nuggets that get fried up. Those are so good. And I wish I might go find some tonight. Um, that's kind of what I'm thinking. That's what I've been thinking. And, uh, Thread Coffee Roasters is a women and queer owned coffee roastery based in Baltimore. Uh, we're uplifting the worker, the farmer, and uh, the, the city of Baltimore through our mission. We're actually gonna be expanding our roastery and moving into a building on uh, Green Mountain North Avenue soon. And so we'll have a coffee lab there that we're gonna open in the summer. We'll have um, a big party, hopefully. I'll invite you for sure. Uh, you know, you can find us online at threadcoffee.com on Instagram at threadcoffee. We have a lot of great things always in the works, always trying to put, you know, our mission to work and uh and that's that's that for thread and you can always read my stuff on be more arts where i'll be working with a uh, photographer jill fannin doing um a series on uh, um, on food and chefs in baltimore and if you want to buy my book you can do that on on our own thank you nani uh that's pretty much it um so 
for Nani Ferreira Matthews of uh, Thread Coffee Roasters. I'm Rob Lee saying that there is community and people doing good. People do better. And around your neck of the woods, you just gotta look for it. <laughs>